You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Welcome back to the post-match reaction podcast with me, your host, Harry Simiu. Chronicles of Aguna is part of the 90 Min Football Network. Make sure you head over to the 90 Min YouTube channel. Make sure you check out all the podcasts under the 90 Min umbrella for some great club-specific content. On this edition of the show, we're going to be reacting to Brighton nil, Arsenal nil in the Premier League. Um, just a little disclaimer at the start of the show. Now, you're probably looking and going, where, where is he? You know, he's not in his normal place. He's not in the studio. He's not recording the show from there today. So I first will have to apologise that the lighting is all over the place if you're watching us on the video. And I have to put a little disclaimer in there just to say that there is a distinct possibility that a toddler might run into the middle of my podcast because I am on daddy duty tonight, but such is my determination and dedication to the cause in terms of getting this podcast out immediately. I am doing it while my kid is sleeping in the other room and I'm just praying <laughs> that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't wake up for any reason and come wandering in, but there we go. Uh, so if you do see a little kid, I, I haven't stolen him or, or anything like that. It is my son and I am on babysitting duty tonight. Right, uh, let's get into it then. So Arsenal held to a nil-nil draw by Brighton and Hove Albion. And I guess, you know, there's I've seen quite a bit of mixed reaction to this on social media. I, you know, I've just been scrolling through over the last sort of half an hour or so while I was getting ready and set up to do the podcast. And I've read, as I say, plenty of mixed views. I think for me, the, the kind of overriding feeling tonight is, am I disappointed that we didn't win? Yeah, of course. I'm always disappointed when Arsenal don't win. But the overriding kind of thing, feeling or emotion for me is is almost content. Like I'm I'm not happy we didn't win, but I'm not really upset that we didn't win either. Because when I look at how the game panned out and how the game evolved and and you know came to be, I think actually had we won the game, it would have been really, really unfair on Brighton. And I think as a fan, sometimes you have to be able to do that. I think you have to be able to step outside of your fandom and look at the game for what it was. And you only need to look at the statistics to tell you that Arsenal weren't the better side tonight and Arsenal probably didn't deserve to take anything, let alone a point. Brighton, 58% of the possession. They had 21 shots in comparison to Arsenal's eight. Now, granted, only two of their efforts were on target, but they still created the situations. They still created the opportunities. So, Brighton will be the more disappointed of the two sides, you have to say. Uh, they've enjoyed a really, really good start to the Premier League season. And I think anybody who's sensible would have been going into this fixture knowing that it was going to be difficult. Not only was it going to be difficult because of the level that Brighton are currently playing at, but I think if you really kind of search your soul, you'll, you'll come to the conclusion that although Arsenal blew Tottenham away in the North London derby last weekend, it doesn't mean that we went from this poor side that started at the start of the campaign or, or, or stuttering side that we saw throughout last season to this super consistent machine of a team that's going to go and win week in, week out. We'll come on to talk about some of the individual performances in a minute. And I, I made some some 
notes that I want to just touch on in this show, but we'll go into them in a little bit more detail on the tactical analysis show uh, tomorrow. Because, um, you know, there there is a lot to kind of unpack here, as there always seems to be uh, when it comes to Arsenal under Mikel Arteta. But let's, let's kick off by discussing the team selection. And it was the team that I asked for. Um, when I did the preview show yesterday, when I spoke about the lineup I would like to see, and when I tweeted it out this morning, that was exactly man for man, player for player, one to 11, the guys that I wanted to see start. And I guess what I found probably a little bit surprising was how much the intensity levels and the energy levels were down in comparison to last week. Now, Arsenal didn't play in midweek, okay? So there's not, you know, there shouldn't be a hangover there. So that was my first concern uh, looking back at today's game. You look at certain players like Martin Odegaard. uh, I don't think he pressed with anywhere near the same energy and intent and purpose that he did in the North London derby. The same could be said for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, just was, didn't seem to be at the races. Then you look at some of the others, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe showed some good moments, uh, I thought, in terms of turning and picking up the ball and driving at people, but didn't really impact the game as much as we'd have liked. Saka, um looked like the only bright spark in the first half, but I thought he faded a little bit in the second half. And then, you know, Takahiro Tomiyasu didn't quite look up to it. Uh, Again, I think some of that was tactical rather than him just not being at his best. So um, I'm going to kind of maybe reserve judgment on on Takahiro Tomiyasu's performance tonight. But as I say, on the tactical analysis, I'll kind of expand on the reasons why I felt he struggled. In a nutshell, it was to do with the fact that Brighton's wing-back obviously had that freedom to get forward. But when you play as a wing-back, you get you can provide so much more width than when you're playing as a full-back. And when you can provide that extra bit of width you're and you're coming down that flank, what you're essentially doing is you're pulling Takahiro Tomiyasu away from Ben White and you're asking him to come and confront you in wide positions, which full-backs, traditional full-backs, not wing-backs, especially one who's got the... Um, you know, the kind of mindset of a centre-half like Takahiro Tomiyasu, he doesn't want to be doing that. He doesn't want to be being dragged out of position. He doesn't want to be coming out to the touchline to confront you. His comfort is in being compact and in being narrow and in being close to his centre-halves so that they can defend as a unit. So I think that tactically, Takahiro Tomiyasu struggled tonight uh, because Brighton's system gave him those problems. I felt in the middle of the park, we struggled to really get a a handle on the game, to control the game. I thought that Lokonga had some issues as well. Um, And and again, you know, we'll get into that deeper tomorrow on the tactical analysis show. But again, in a nutshell, for those of you that won't get to listen to that show or won't want to listen to that show, um, I felt like his positioning was a little bit off. And when I say it was a little bit off, it was... I was watching Albert Sambi Lokonga playing or trying to play the role that Mikel Arteta normally entrusts Granite Xhaka with. And I don't think that that is Lokonga's game. I think there are some similarities to the two players, you know, that in, in terms of the fact that they like to play in a deeper position, uh, that they both like to play in a, a more advanced pass. Xhaka maybe doesn't um, do it um, 
uh, you know, as often as he should. But I, I think there are some similarities between the two players, but there are some huge differences as well. And I thought tonight you saw those differences. And again, just like Takahiro Tomiyasu, where it was a committed display, but he wasn't at his best, I would put it down to us struggling to deal with Brighton's system and and Brighton getting players forward in certain areas. So, you know, th- those were a couple of players that I thought were under par. I talked about Odegaard. I talked about Aubameyang. There was a handful of them tonight. And that's kind of the problem, isn't it? When you go away from home in horrible conditions like it was tonight, you need everybody to be on top of their game. And, and we weren't for whatever reason. I think there comes a point in a game like that as a manager where you have to look at it and say, it's just not our night. and. I'll go back to that point that I made earlier on. You don't go from being a very poor and inconsistent side to over the course of of a month becoming world beaters and a side that they are then expected to go and win week in, week out. I said before the game that this would be a decent point. And if you'd have asked us at the start of the season when we'd lost our opening three games, whether we'd have taken 10 points from the next possible 12 I think all of us would have been pretty happy and pretty satisfied with that. So for me, um, you know, it's it's not the end of the world. I think when you look at a team and you're trying to work out where they are, I think you have to look at them over the course of five, six games to get some kind of reading, right? And what I mean by that is had Arsenal, for example, and I always kind of make this point because I really do feel like it's it's a valid one. Had Arsenal drawn with Spurs, a lot of us would have been disappointed, frustrated at the time because it was, um, you know, a North London derby, we were at home, etc, etc. But in the grand scheme of things, Tottenham are a side that we are likely to or were expected to be competing uh, with for a, a European spot. So you'd have said, okay, I wish we'd won it. But, you know, if we'd have drawn that and won tonight, then everybody would be pretty content with that the fact that we beat Spurs it lifted the level of expectation and then tonight feels like a a come down off the back of that and it was a come down in terms of the level of performance in terms of the ruthlessness in front of goal Um, you know I know we didn't create an awful lot of opportunities but there was um, you know for me when Bukayo Saka cut inside early on in the game it was a weak shot the kind of shot that we see too often from Saka we see too often from Smith Rowe there was the Smith Rowe chance where he burst through maybe could have picked out Shaka. I'm not sure uh, Shaka, Saka uh, I'm not sure he decided to go alone but when he did get into the position to shoot it was very lackluster it was very it was the shot of a player who has no confidence in his ability to put the ball in the back of the net. And and that's always been my criticism of Emil Smith-Rowe. Because for me, once you shift that ball out onto your right right foot and you create that little bit of an angle for the swing, you strike it hard and low and back across the goal. And I'd rather you put it wide in attempting to do the right thing than hitting it straight at the keeper. So that was really disappointing. And of course, the opportunity that Aubameyang met. Now, I know the flag went up on this one. But Aubameyang didn't know that at the time. And he just hesitated in front of the goalkeeper, tried to go around him. The keeper did really well. And then the flag went up. But there was just that ruthlessness that I talked about after the North London derby that put us in that really commanding position after half an hour was just not on show tonight. It just simply wasn't there. And what's the reason for that? I don't know. I've said already it's disappointing because we didn't play in midweek. Um 
But then when you step outside of the Arsenal fandom, if you like, and you look at it from a neutral perspective, I reeled you off the stats at the start of the show. Brighton were head and shoulders the better team. And, you know, you sometimes you have to accept that. We made substitutions to try and change the course of things. Nicola Pepe came on on the left-hand side. Um, didn't think he had all that much of an impact. Lacazette came on and just there were just flashes from Lacazette where his link-up play was a little bit better uh, than Aubameyang's in terms of the tidiness of his first touch. But it, it wasn't enough to get us over the line. Look, I think we can count ourselves quite fortunate to have picked up a point it's a point that could prove valuable come the end of the season and we move forward. You know, that, there's no not really all that much more to kind of go on and on and on about. You know, how outraged can you be when this is the team that every single one of us pretty much would have picked? How outraged can you be when you go away to one of the form sides in the Premier League, they play you off the park and you still come away with something? That's That's kind of where I'm at at this point. But I did think there were some tactical things that, we struggled with um, some tactical things that Brighton do differently in comparison to Chelsea, to Brentford, two sides who also play with back threes that we've already faced and struggled against this season. So I did think there were some subtle differences in what Brighton were doing. And what again, we'll, we'll dive into that in more detail on the tactical analysis show. So if you haven't subscribed already, make sure you do. Uh, because then that way you'll get a notification every time we bring out a show. And the tactical analysis will be coming live at 11am on Sunday morning UK time. So make sure you come over and join me for that. Uh, make sure you leave a like on this video as well, by the way. Um, if you haven't done so already, make sure uh, you leave us a review if you're listening via the audio platforms. But it was, you know, it was a, a bit of a frustrating night. But ultimately, you know, I, I think we got more than we deserved. And and I don't think you can ever really be that upset or pissed off when you get more than you deserved. You should, in fact, be grateful. Um, a couple of other sort of bits and pieces I wanted to mention, and you know, we'll we'll come over to some questions in the live chat box in a moment. I just wanted to talk about Aaron Ramsdale tonight because there was a, a bit of a hairy moment in the first half, wasn't there, where he dropped the ball and. Uh, <laughs> Fortunately for us, Brighton spurned the opportunity. But then he made a really, really telling contribution, didn't he? Um, when Neil Mopai was was standing basically behind him, waiting to tap the ball in. Fantastic dive and save uh, from Aaron Ramsdale to deny him. And that's, you know, and, and we talk about Aaron Ramsdale being a safer pair of hands in general, being a better communicator in general and all of those things. And the one thing that people have always kind of held up in Berlino's corner is, Yes, but Bern Leno is capable of making a match-winning save. And I think over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Aaron Ramsdale have a few of those moments. We saw him in the North London derby make that fantastic save from Lucas Moura late on. And we've seen him tonight make a really uh, telling contribution. The kind of final thing I, I, I want to just quickly touch on um, with regards to the, the, the view on the outcome of tonight's game. And, and while I'm doing this, please feel free to... Um, to get your thoughts and get your questions in the chat box, pop a little cue at the beginning of them and we'll pick up some of those for the last sort of 10 minutes of the show. But the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, 
the the Mikel Arteta thing is is a divisive one, right? We, we know that. We know that there are Arsenal fans out there that don't feel he's the right man. We know there are some Arsenal fans that are still on the fence, that are still willing to give him that bit of time. And we know there are some Arsenal fans that are very, very supportive of him. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you look at Manchester United today, right? And I watched Manchester United's game earlier on, did a little video on it uh, post-match, which you can check out on the channel. And for me, you know, you look at that side and you look at the levels of investment and you look at the fact that they brought in Jadon Sancho, one of the most sought after talents in European football, that they brought Raphael Varane in a, what, four or five times uh, Champions League winning defender. And they brought in Cristiano Ronaldo, arguably one of the greatest players of all time, who or definitely one of the greatest players of all time, who continues to prove himself at the highest level. And they were not consistent. You know, they they are struggling to find that consistency. So if they're struggling and and given that in the eyes of everybody, pretty much they're miles ahead of us. Are we being unrealistic to expect Arsenal to win every single fixture? And look, if you'd have said, you know, at the start of the campaign, when we were abysmal, absolutely abysmal, that we'd be within four points of Manchester United, within four points of Liverpool. I know they haven't played yet this weekend, but basically we are four points away from the top four. That is not a big margin. We are not that far off of the pace. And that is not because of the Brighton game tonight. That is because of our form over the last four games, over the last five games. And this is what you need to, this is what I keep saying. You keep needing to look at the group of games. You keep needing to look back at, I believe, five, six games in in kind of packages to keep seeing how we're going. You know, 10 points from a possible 12 is title winning form. If you take that period in isolation, Okay, you take those four league fixtures in isolation. Winning three and drawing one is title challenging form. It is. And that's the kind of form we've been on. So forget that we weren't very good tonight. We will have days like that. I've told you all time and time again that if we're going to rely on young players, if we're going to rely on 21, 22 year olds, because that's where we see the future lies then we have to accept as a fan base, it's not accepting mediocrity. As fans, we have to accept that there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be peaks and troughs. There there are going to be bumps in the road. That is part and parcel of it. And if Manchester United, with Ronaldo, with Sancho, with Varane, with Pogba, with Bruno Fernandes, with David De Gea, are in the same position, despite spending an absolute shitload of money over the last few years, then, you know, and when I say same position, I mean in terms of they struggle for consistency in not just their results, but in their performances. Then you have to look and say, well, maybe, just maybe, we're setting that bar for Arsenal right now too high. I I just, I really do feel that. Um you know, I, I think there's been games where, you know, we've performed better. As you pointed out brilliantly by Wandering Minstrel in the chat, there's been games where we've played better and dropped points. So it doesn't mean that the performance should be overlooked. It doesn't mean that we should disregard it or that we shouldn't analyse it or that we shouldn't look at certain aspects of it that worry us and concern us. But I'll go back to the point I made before. 
And for me, this is genuinely, this is not me making excuses. You know, some people say he says it because of the club. You know, he wants to get a job with the absolute flipping nonsense that is. It's because it's genuinely how I feel. Because I, like I'm sure many of you, have been watching this beautiful sport and covering and following this beautiful sport for long enough to know that it's football. And wins are uh, uh, something that is obviously great and something that you enjoy and something that you want. And at a big football club like Arsenal, most of the time, it's something that you expect. But it shouldn't be taken for granted. And I'll go back to it one more time. Arsenal winning three and drawing one of their last four, taking 10 of the last 12 points available is title challenging form. If Arsenal were to maintain that level that we've shown over the first four, those four games in terms of results, we'd be in the race for the title, which tells you how crazy it is because we all sit here and go, how the hell would this team ever be in the run for the title? They're crap. They're average. So that little spell that you've just seen is impressive. It is a very good return and it is something that we can take as a positive. Tonight wasn't great. We all know that. We're all feeling the same way, but you take it and you move and you don't dwell on it and you look at what you can do better and you look at how you're going to improve. And for me, the biggest thing that probably needs addressing now is like off the back of that performance is was our struggles in midfield or were our struggles in midfield due to it being Brighton? In which case, is it something we need to worry about moving forward in Granite Xhaka's absence? Or um, or do we actually really need to try and work out a different, an alternative solution um, in the middle of the park while he's out? So this is this is where I'm at. You know, I talked, I, I, I think we missed Xhaka tonight. Um, I put that on Twitter. Obviously, there's loads of people that disagree. I said that I thought Sambi struggled because of the tactical side of it. And I guess, in a nutshell, the po- you know what? There's a question about Xhaka, so I'll come on to that in a minute, actually. Let's just put a pin in that. Hold on, I'll, I'll come on to the Xhaka thing in a minute uh, because some of you are asking. Let, let's pick it up now from Thomas. He says, um, according to your Twitter, Harry, we were missing Xhaka today. Do you mean we would have dominated the midfield with him in the squad? If yes, how so? What was missing there? Cheers, mate. Keep it up. So I'm not saying that if Granite Xhaka played, Arsenal would have definitely won the game. But I did think there were elements to our performance tonight that showed that we miss him. And and I, I don't, again, look, we're going to do the tactical show and it's really important that I explain this point the way I see it quite kind of accurately and that I do it justice and that I show you the visuals. So I'm going to pull off those visuals so that they're ready for the tactical analysis show. But in a nutshell, when you play in Mikel Arteta's current system, which creates the opportunity for um, for Kieran Tierney to get forward all the time, constantly, frequently, that is because of the shape that we shift into when he gets forward. Now, a large part of that shape is the player that plays on the left side of the double midfield pivot, shifting over and covering in a very specific area of the pitch that means they are available to cover the left back if somebody comes down the flank in in 
in the transition, but also means they're able to step aside into the midfield and help their partner out. So it's a very specific, almost, we call them, when we're talking about attacking, we call them half spaces. And I guess you could call it a half space, but a kind of half space in between the left back, a left centre back and the left centre midfielder. So it's almost this area whereby you are in a position to kind of deal with a variety of scenarios. I felt with Sambi Lakonga tonight, because he is a right-footed player playing on his wrong side, so playing on the left of a two-man pivot, what does that make you do naturally? Now, we've a lot of us have played football. You know, we've played football to a good standard in many cases. And I was a right-footed player that often played on the left-hand side. So I can probably relate to this. What was the first thing I would do as a right-footed player playing on my wrong side? Well, I'd pull out as far wide as I possibly could because when I then receive the ball, I have all of the pitch in front of me to carry it into on my stronger foot. Does this make sense? If it doesn't, don't worry. I will explain it a little bit more um, tomorrow. But when you pick the ball up, as a right-footed player on the left, your natural inclination is to pull as far wide out onto the touchline as you possibly can. Because when you receive the ball, you don't want to be going on your left foot. Therefore, you don't need that angle. What you prefer is to create the angle from which you can drive infield on your right foot and play the game. You can also see what's going on there, which buys you that extra bit of time to get the ball under control on your wrong side. And I thought that Sambi Lakonga on occasions tonight, and he was much better in the second half, and he was much more impactful. And I'm not for a second question in his commitment, his work rate, his effort. I just felt that there were times in this game where Sambi drifted out to that left-hand side, too far out to that left-hand side to receive the ball because it made him feel more comfortable. And therefore, there was too great a distance between himself and Thomas Partey. And because our passing was off, because our passing was poor, when we lost the ball, it took too long for Sambi to get infield and tuck in alongside Thomas Partey. And therefore, we got overrun in the midfield. Add to that that Martin Odegaard wasn't anywhere near as energetic and as hardworking as he normally is, wasn't as technically secure as he normally is to give us a breather at times. I think for me, um, you know, the, the midfield was our biggest issue tonight. But I, I say that we miss Xhaka because Xhaka is quite comfortable sitting in that kind of half space because he doesn't want to come in field. He wants to go the other way. So he prefers to get narrower, tucking closer to Thomas Partey because when he receives the ball, he wants the room to go on his stronger left foot. When you're playing on the wrong side, that's very, very different. And I think that that's something that Sambi uh, suffered from today. Might sound like a, a small thing. It might sound like an excuse. But it isn't. I, I genuinely do think that that had an impact on his game tonight. And uh, and I wonder if it will be as visible when we play against a similar formation. I just think today when we, um, when we, um, you know, when we came up against this particular system, and I actually tweeted before the game, really interested to see what we've learned about facing a back three because of uh, those defeats at Brentford and the defeat against Chelsea. And then I tweeted at, I think it was at halftime, maybe not that much, like as in we haven't learned that much because there was, um, you know, there were some issues today for Arsenal. There's no getting away from that, but it is what it is. We move on. Let's take some more of your questions, get them in for the last few minutes uh, and I'll pick up as many of those as possible. I feel like the longer I go, the longer I'm 
kind of pushing my luck here. Uh, as I told you guys at the start of the show, if you're joining us a little bit later, I am on babysitting duties tonight. The missus is out, the little one's in bed, and I am, uh, I'm like thinking he's going to come into the room any minute now. But uh, let's continue through some of your questions and some of your thoughts. Uh, Sajal says, do you think with that style of play, Arsenal will get the top six? Um, you know, I don't think the top six is out of reach. I really, really don't. And when you take into account what I said a few moments ago, the fact that Arsenal are just four points off of the top four, considering the way we started the season, to lose three games on the trot and still be in a place where the top four is is within our sights. I'm not saying we're going to finish there, but it tells you that we're not that far off the pace, doesn't it? So I think we can. Um, you know, I I think I think we're better defensively, you know, than than we have been in years gone by. I've made that point time and time again. I think as a result of that, we've lost a bit of our attacking edge and our a bit of a, our attacking verve. But you know, you you hope that that you know we'll be more clinical. Uh, when those opportunities come along and and be able to take them and hopefully pick up the results that we need along the way. But, you know, let's see. Let's see. Uh, What else have we got here? Uh, Graham Brooks, uh, big hello to Graham. He says, the problem wasn't that we missed Xhaka. It was more that we couldn't play through their press. They pressed us to death and we didn't press ourselves more than the build-up issue without Xhaka. Yeah, and and Graham, look, I'm not saying that that Granite Xhaka was the reason that we didn't win the game today. I've... I've said it on a number of occasions. I think there were a number of issues that we had today in in dealing with Brighton. Their press, their 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 ability to get extra bodies in the midfield. People talk about them playing with a back three, but they do push an extra body into the midfield. So I think there were a number of issues. I just felt that if Granit Xhaka was in there, we'd have been a lot more compact in the midfield because of the points I made about Sambi just drifting, in my opinion, too far to the left. But as I say, we'll explain that again tomorrow in more detail on the uh, tactical analysis show. Uh, let's see what we've got. Omar says, why does Aubameyang only turn up at home against Tottenham? Every time it's an away game, he's anonymous and it pisses me off. I wouldn't say it's anonymous every time we play away from home, but, I, you know, when you look at the Burnley game, for example, where he didn't really have that much of an impact as a striker, he had an impact in terms of the way he pressed and the way he kind of worked and, and really set the tone for the rest of the team. He then continued that work rate um, into the Tottenham game, but he was a lot more devastating. His link-up play was a lot better. But today, there's no denying that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wasn't at the races. And, you know, I actually thought when when I was thinking, when I was sitting there watching the game, I was thinking about what changes I would potentially make. And there was a small part of me that went, you need a goal, you should always leave a Bamiang on the pitch. Like, I genuinely feel like that more often than not in most cases. But tonight, I thought he was just so off the boil. Like, his touch was bad. He was trying to lay it off to people. He was getting them horribly wrong when he, he tried to burst away a couple of times and sort of ran and left the ball behind him. And it was just as clear as day that it was not going to be a Bamiang's night. And so I was quite pleased to see Arteta not give a shit about who he is, not give a shit about his reputation, not give a shit about upsetting him and saying, no, you're not doing it now. Off you come. And on comes Alex Lacazette. Now, it didn't have the desired impact and it didn't sort of see us nick a winner or anything like that. But I, I admire the the manager making that decision because there, are, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are feeling the same as me that were looking at that going, he's not playing very well. 
can you really take off Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang when you need a goal? Like, can you really justify that? So, I, I you know, credit to, to Mikel Arteta in that sense. Uh, Marble Hall's TV. Uh, why is Partey always going for screamers? Oh, man. I tweeted at halftime, I think, uh, something along the lines of Thomas Partey, please stop shooting. Uh, regards the Arsenal fans, because it's so bad. You know, it's he, he does it all the time and he always tries to come and arrive at the edge of the box where he can whip the um, whip the ball, make it look like he's going to go across the goal and then he tries to whip it or curve it back inside the near post. It's something that Thomas Partey tries all the time, yet to score though in an Arsenal shirt. I'm sure it will come one day, but um, yeah, maybe if you give it a rest for a while. Uh, what else uh, have we got here? Uh, Richie makes a pretty decent point, I think. He says, love the attack from Brighton. It showed our defence a test they were up for last year. We would be broken. Yeah, look, um, you know, I think we we defended pretty well. But I also thought that for me, um, you know, a lot of it was down to a lot of it was down to them not being as ruthless and as clinical in the final third as they have been in the season so far. Um, I also thought Ben White deserves a mention. I thought he had a really good game tonight. I thought Ben White looked a lot more assured than he's looked in an Arsenal shirt so far. And I'm delighted to see that. Um, I'm delighted to see that he seems to be finding his feet and forming a bit of a partnership with Gabriel. Now let's just hope that they can, um, they can uh, both stay fit and uh, they can continue to develop that partnership. Harry uh, says, uh, how long does it take for Manscaped to deliver up the Manscaped? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, mate. I'm not sure. It depends where you are, I guess, um, with their shipping times. But you probably find something uh, something on the, uh, on the website. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Let's take uh, one or two more questions. Let's take this one from Ian, who says, when a team presses well, we seem to struggle to play around it. Why is that? Last year, we won this game, by the way. Yeah, look, we won this fixture, but, you know, you, you can't really read into that too much, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, we, you know, we do struggle to play out um, around the press. And I guess, you know, we've got to find a way of doing that. Um, you get some people who... You get some people who look at the, the press and say, when this is too difficult for us to play through it, we're going to go that little bit direct when we feel like that is that is the right thing to do. I think part of the reason that Mikel Arteta likes Aaron Ramsdale is it feels like he's the type of goalkeeper that can recognise when to go direct and when that's probably the best case uh, or the best solution um, rather than trying to play out from the back. But yeah, you know, pressing is a part of modern day football in a way that it never was before. And, and we're going to really need to, um, you know, be better at doing that, progressing the ball out of those situations. Because as we saw against Spurs, and although they were crap, we've said it 101 times. But when we did manage to play around the press, we were completely, um, you know, we were we were in behind. We were dangerous. We covered uh, all the right areas of the pitch. We were incisive and quick in our passing, direct in our passing. And we got up the pitch quickly and we scored goals off the back of it. So, yeah, it's something that we need to develop on. But just remember, like this back line, for example, right? How many goals have they conceded in this run of four games? What what have they conceded? One goal? You know, clean sheet against Norwich, clean sheet against Burnley, clean sheet against um, AFC Wimbledon. Just the one conceded against Spurs and none conceded here at Brighton. So, look, let's... Um, 
you know, let's not overreact. To, to kind of summarise, let's not overreact. He's 10 points from a possible 12, which, as I said already, is title-challenging form. Obviously disappointed by the nature of the performance today. Obviously feel that we could have done better. But we were never going to go from being really poor to being a team that is going to win week in, week out. And, and it should be expected to win week in, week out. So for me, I'm not happy with the point, but I'm content with the point. That's the right word. I'm content with it. And I think most Arsenal fans should be because of where we're coming from. Now, if we were challenging for the Premier League title this season, if that was our level, if that was our standard, and you're looking at it and you're going, oh, you know, we dropped two points at Brighton, you know, that's not acceptable. I would say fair enough. But that's not where Arsenal are. That's not where Arsenal are going to be come the end of the season. So 10 points from a possible 12. I'm content with it. We move on. We go into the international break now. We see how we go when we come back. We regroup. The biggest concern for me, as I said, if I had to have one major concern today, was the fact that a lot of people look like they were running on empty. Now, I know there's a fuel crisis here in London, but... Uh, and a fuel shortage or whatever you want to call it. But my God, uh, we should have, um, you know, we should have shown more energy. We should have shown more fight. We should have been more aggressive in our own press, which I don't think we did. And um, it was a stark contrast, wasn't it, to how we've seen Arsenal perform over the last couple of games. So we'll see. We go again. And uh, as I say, we'll be back tomorrow with the Tactical Analysis Show. So uh, come and join me for that. And we'll go into some of those points I mentioned in a lot more detail with all the visuals to go with them. And uh, I look forward to bringing that to you. There's over 200 of you watching us right now, which is quite cool considering that it's a Saturday night and most people are out and about enjoying themselves. I'm sad. I'm sitting at home on a Saturday night recording podcasts. Uh, but there you go. Uh, so make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Because as I say, there's a fair few of you watching at the moment. But we've only got 66 likes on the board. Come on, let's get that as close to 100 as we possibly can. I'll be back tomorrow with more. Until then, take care of yourselves and enjoy what remains of your Saturday evening. Goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.